This is episode number 55. I'm your host, Al Qatar, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Nihal. Today's episode is brought to you by Ambitious Strike. They're a soccer-themed clothing brand based out of Arizona. they got some great merchandise. You can check that out at ambitiousstrike.com. If you want a 15% off discount on your entire purchase, enter the code BROTHERS at checkout. So, Nihal, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, man. Uh, the European Championship final happened. More importantly, Pokemon Go dropped. And this thing is a phenomenon, man. Was that was that after our last episode? I think it dropped on the same day. Okay. Um, that we recorded. You know, I thought it was going to be big, but not as big as it's been. Because, you know, we, we both knew this was coming out. We, we, you know, we saw the announcement, what, uh, seven, eight months ago. And we didn't really know what to expect. But this is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, I don't understand when I see, like, MLS teams and, like... NFL teams tweeting out pictures of Pokemon Go. I just don't get it. Yeah, I, it's crazy. <laughs> it's cool. I mean, I'm I'm happy about it, but it's crazy. I'm just confused. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to think of it. I just don't know how it happened so quickly. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it's such, like, an outside concept for most people. I'm yeah. surprised they just, like, jumped right into it. Right. Um, well. Yeah, but anyways... <laughs> The European Championship final happened, as you said, on Sunday between France and Portugal. Portugal came out victorious 1-0 after extra time. And Nihal, this was not a very exciting game, was it? Portugal winning their first major title. And they are certainly excited, the Portugal fans. But for the neutral spectators, how are you, I guess, how did you view this game? You know, there's a, there's a lot that has been going around. You know, we were watching ESPN because obviously that's what the U.S. broadcast was for the European Championships. Um, you know, Ian Dark was saying, this is the final that this tournament deserved. And you know, it's hard to argue with that. It was not a great tournament. The knockout stages were fun. Um, and then uh, Steve McManaman was saying, it's anti-football. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Portugal did what they had to do, and they ended up winning. Um, that being said, you were hoping for something more exciting. This is such a big stage for soccer, especially... For, for American fans who maybe are just tuning in for this match, you hope for something a little bit more. Uh, and also after the semifinals, I was kind of hoping for something a little bit more because the France-Germany match I thought was the best match in the tournament. It was really exciting, uh, and I was excited to see you know Antoine Griezmann bring the game to Portugal. And it started out that way. The first eight minutes before Ronaldo got injured was really exciting, I thought. It was frantic. There were some chances. Um, but... You know, it, it sort of died down after that, especially after Ronaldo came off in, in, in the 25th minute or so. So Yeah, Ronaldo got a knock from Paye in the 8th minute, you know, felt hurt. So he came off and came back on the ninth minute. And then a few minutes later, uh, he went back off, got patched up, and then he came back on. That wasn't enough. So then he finally got subbed off and carted off the field in the 25th minute. And, you know, from that point on, we thought for sure it was going to be a France victory, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you know, I... Well, I was telling you at the time, Portugal is not a better team without Cristiano Ronaldo, but the one thing they don't do is they don't force it. Now, I don't think I don't think the right choice was to bring on Cresma. I think they should have brought Eder right away. I think they needed that striker, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, you know, I, even, I still thought France was going to win after that point, and I thought that made it easier in a way. Well, I'm not in a way. Obviously, one of the best two players in the world is not on the pitch anymore for Portugal. So France, you know, they should have won uh, due to 
before the, and after. Yeah, before and after. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to articulate, and words are escaping me <laughs> at the moment. Um, but you know, also I think psychologically, something I was talking to you about is once Ronaldo goes off the pitch, you can kind of feel France taking their foot off the pedal a little bit and start to cruise. And you have to wonder if, if Ronaldo was there, could France have won? Or would France have kept that energy level up? Because like I said, at the beginning of the match, their energy levels were fantastic. They were attacking. And I'm not saying, you know, that obviously Portugal wants Cristiano Ronaldo. And they probably have a better chance to win with him on the pitch. I'm just saying psychologically, it's hard to not be sort of relieved as an opposition player when, when, when Cristiano Ronaldo goes off the pitch and, and sort of think, you know, we can, we, we're going to win this now. I think, you know, part of the reason that France was so disappointing is that I think, you know, the, the players were leading, reading the team sheet way too literally. I mean, those defensive midfielders, we saw them get way up more forward against Germany in a midfield and defense that's better. Or maybe not defense, I don't know, that's tough. But, but Matuidi and Pogba, I thought, were sitting back too deep. And just and not providing anything to the attack, really, which I feel was part of the reason that they just didn't look that proactive. Uh, well, okay, so so the match started off with Portugal in a four-one-three-two with William Carvalho sitting in front of the Portuguese defense. Yeah, and right away, something I said on the last podcast is with him by himself there. I feel like France is going to be able to overload him, and they did that until Ricardo Quaresma came on. I, I felt like they did that. Um, you know, Charisma came on, Sa- Renato Sanchez went centrally, and, you know, you sort of had that midfield three of Carvalho, um, Silva, and Sanchez. And I thought, I thought that helped out a little I thought that helped out a little bit more. And I thought at that point, at that point, yeah, France was unable to get into attack more. But also, France came out in the same formation that did against Germany with Antoine Griezmann um, playing behind the striker, and Giroud, and the two midfielders, as you say, Pogba and Matuidi, playing defensive mid. And I think two things, two things that France could have done is started N'Golo Kante, because like I said on the last podcast, starting N'Golo Kante allows Matuidi and Pogba to get forward a little bit more, especially Pogba, or push up their center backs, because Xiaomi and Amtiti are really good with the ball at their feet. And in the last seven minutes of regulation, between the 83rd and 90th minute, we saw Koscielny and Umtiti go forward. And one one of the things I can remember is Umtiti making a run into the Portugal's attacking third. And if you just push them up a little bit against a team that's sitting back already, you feel like Pogba could have maybe got a little more involved in the attack. And Pogba had a disappointing tournament, but he had an especially disappointing match. He was not able to get into this match at all. Yeah. And, you know, I think... Playing in Golo Kante might have been better, and playing Griezmann out wide, although maybe that's not his best position, he's still world class there. And I think allowing those two attackers would have helped. Or, you know, I know this is crazy, but playing Griezmann as a lone striker, even, might not have been a terrible idea. I think obviously his best position is playing as a second striker, but I mean, he's done, he's played on the right wing for Atletico Madrid a lot, and he's played on, on the right wing for France too, and he's done. Fine. He scored six goals in the And I think for Sociedad, he did a great, a great job in that role. Right. That's how, he, that's how he yeah. got to Atletico Madrid. And once Portugal made that change to have those three midfielders and have Nani as a lone striker after Ronaldo went off, you know, 
Didier Deschamps should have made some sort of change tactically, at least held the center backs to get more into midfield and allow Batuidi and Pogba to go forward or bring on Conte earlier on in the match. You know, that being said, Portugal defended very well. You know, I, I you know, all the cliche stuff about a team who dug in and won, that's all, that's all true. Um, but you feel like Deschamps could have made some changes that would have benefited. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I, I think that's a good point to make, especially after the injury of Ronaldo. Because, I mean, you know, it's hard to just, for Deschamps just to play Griezmann in a different position when he scored a brace in that same role against Germany. Right. Uh, but, um, I don't... But Germany's not sitting back, right? They're attacking France. And Griezmann was brilliant in that second striker role, but he was especially brilliant in the counterattack. Those opportunities didn't present themselves in this match, and they were never going to present themselves in this match, save one or two chances. I, I think Griezmann was more effective than just in the counterattack against no, Germany. he was, but I'm saying he was especially brilliant in the counterattack. Okay, fair enough. But I, I feel like when he came back into the midfield, he just created so much, even when Germany had, you know, 10 men behind the ball or... Whatever. But don't you think having Pogba more forward, more advanced, while also having Griezmann on the pitch would would have been beneficial to the French team? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I'm saying maybe you were able to unlock the defense because what would happen was it would be Sissoko pinching in, who had a great game, Sissoko pinching in and running at the Portuguese defense, Paye dropping deeper a little bit, Griezmann not really being able to get the ball, and Giroud just occupying space. Nothing was really happening. When, once you get Pogba in there, it changes the match it won't, in, in the attack. And you saw, even in the 83rd, 90th minute, Paul Pogba, Paul Pogba is in between Koscielny and Antiti. That's not where you want your arguably your best player to be. Yeah, I agree. I'm just saying that I think some blame should also be in Antoine Griezmann. Because, I mean, you know, he had two great heading chances. One... Uh, from across from Paye early on, and then one from across from Coman, who I thought was brilliant, but we'll get to that later. Um, and he should have finished those chances, and he just should have been more involved than I think he was. Maybe that's a credit to William Carvalho and the back line of Portugal, but he just seemed invisible for most of the night. Yeah, yeah it was disappointing, right? Like, because, af- like you said, after we saw that match against Germany, you thought he was going to have a fantastic... You know, you, you thought this he was going to dominate Portugal. Yeah. And I think he had started out that way. But once William Carvalho got help, Carvalho was able to do what he does best and sort of shut down those attacks. And Pepe had a magnificent match yeah. back there. Um, maybe except that one giveaway he had in the first half where he slipped, which led to that Griezmann chance, that Griezmann header. Um, you know, he, he had a really good match. Rui Patricio and Net stood on his head, as Taylor Twelman said. Um, so, you know, it just... Almost like how the semifinal wasn't Germany's night. This just wasn't really France's night. But, you know, at least Germany put themselves in position in a position to maybe score. I don't think France did a whole lot. You said, what, there was only 20 chances created between both teams? Yeah. I'm sure most of those were France's. 15 were France's. Yeah, 15 were France's. But aside from the Griezmann misheader in the second half around the 66th minute and the Gignac uh, mischance off the post in the 90th minute, there weren't many clear-cut opportunities. And, like I said, I think Pogba pushing up would have helped, and Deschamps 
just seemed transfixed by the moment and wasn't able to make the, the proper tactical changes. I, I don't know what else to say about yeah. that. Well, let's get to a change that I think we can both agree that it was a good change for France. Um, in the 58th minute, Kingsley Coman came on for Dimitri Payet, and I, I think we can both agree that was the right substitution because Sissoko was just absolutely you know, the best player for France on the pitch. Right. So you thought that was the right, the right time to bring on Coman? I thought he should have come on earlier because Dimitri Payet did absolutely nothing in this match. And once again, one of the better players in the tournament, disappointing. He had that one cross that led to the Griezmann header. Aside from that, he didn't do anything. And I think having someone like Coman with a bit of pace um, and who can who can dribble at the defender a little bit more, and is, who's a little bit more of a direct player. Yeah, always looking for that final ball. Like, right, you know. right. What would have been what was the right choice uh, to try to break down the uh, Portuguese defense? And right away, he he did a couple of good things. He got a couple of crosses in. He beat a couple of defenders. Uh, he was yeah he he so he had that delivery into Griezmann whose header went over the bar and he also had that right. through ball into Giroud who you know shot it right at Patricio right I forgot oh that's another clear cut opportunity I forgot about that one mm. uh, that that's one that Giroud should finish um, but yeah I, I thought that was the right change uh, but you know the, tactically it just it still didn't seem like they changed anything they just brought on a, a different type of player in the left wing they didn't change their shape they didn't do anything to try to break down the Portuguese defense centrally. Uh, yeah, I think what it really what it really looks like was, you know, Portugal really wants penalties, but you know, France still thinks they can beat Portugal in penalties for some reason. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think I think they thought eventually we're going to score the goal. We have the possession. We're the better team. Eventually, it's going to come. I can see that too. Yeah. I, I don't think you. I don't think you ever want to go to penalties if you're the better team. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't know if they actually wanted to go to penalties, but they could have played more proactive than they actually did. From from a from a tactical standpoint, and just each player individually. But how much? How much is that? So how much is that? Is tactical direction from Deschamps? That's that's what that's what I'm saying. And you know, Gignac, he looked okay, but I, he was never that good in this tournament. Yeah, in the 78th minute, he came on for Giroud. I, I mean, I, I think it was a good substitution. Why not Anthony Martial at striker? Yeah. He, you know, he's not. He, he's a decent winger. He played okay there for United this year, but he's not a winger. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I mean it was a good decision to take Giroud off. Yeah. Maybe, but Giroud at least was able to, you know, win some balls in the air, potentially. But, you know, Gignac, he did he did okay, and... What he did was he did maybe bring some of the bring the center back out wide to maybe the point of that was to give some space for Griezmann in the middle, but I didn't really do anything um, for Griezmann and he Griezmann never really came into this match. Yeah, from the forty fifth to I think the sixtieth minute, we thought that we didn't see any touches from Griezmann, which is just amazing to me. But I I think also the thing that I'm just starting to notice about Griezmann's play in this match is that he did get a few headers. It seemed like he was almost too forward sometimes. And that's that's what I, what I didn't like what Ronaldo was doing earlier in this tournament. He was staying too forward. He he was making everyone else, you know, do the work. And I wanted Ronaldo to come back to the ball. And I, in this match, I wanted Griezmann to... I mean, for Francis' sake, I wanted Griezmann to come back more to the ball, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But and well, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. It just seemed like the, the game plan was for Pogba and Matuidi to stay back. Griezmann and... Uh, Giroud to stay forward and to have 
Payette or Sissoko find the space and sort of connect connect the dots, and it didn't really work out. Sissoko did all he could bombing up that right wing, but he, you know, there was no final, there was no real final product from him. He had that one decent shot towards the end of the match, um, which was a great save by Rudy Patricio, but no opportunity stands out into, in my mind where he created a chance through a pass. He also had that turn in the first half uh, that when he shot it low, Patricio saved it. But it just was a disjointed French team, a disjointed French team. And they it's just a, such a huge missed opportunity for them to win a tournament on their home soil against not a very good team. And I'm sure that's how Portugal fell in 2004 when they lost to Greece on home soil in the European Championship final. So, you know, Portugal maybe deserved to win a championship at some point. But it was – I was rooting for France. You know, I, I, I am sort of invested in them, so I'm disappointed. But they, at the end of the day, they didn't come out to play. And their stars didn't come up to play. Pogba, Payet, Griezmann. Probably the three best players you would say on the pitch. Uh, at least the three best outfield players. They just didn't do it. Yeah. Well, why don't we go back over uh, to Portugal in terms of tactics. So you want to talk about this. In the 78th minute, Renato Sanchez comes off for Eder, and now Nani moves from striker to outside midfield, and Eder goes up top. Right. Oh, ex- explain what this kind of did for the Portuguese national team. Well, Eder is someone who, honestly, I don't rate that highly like many other people. Um... But I was talking to you about this immediately when he came on. He should have played more in this tournament. And I think he should have been a starter throughout the tournament because, like I've been, like we've been saying on the podcast, Cristiano Ronaldo is better on the wing. But in this match, he comes on immediately. He, he allows the Portuguese players to cross it into the box, and now the French defenders have to actually mark it there. They have to, they, he occupies space in a good way. He occupies the defenders, Koscielny and Umtiti, um, and, and, and the cro- crosses are all of a sudden a dangerous ball for Portugal. Yeah, and, and I think they also made Evra actually sit back deeper than he did for most right. of the match because Nani was actually pretty threatening on that right hand side. Right, and he was able to hold up the play. Nani was able to get forward a little bit more. When Nani, Nani was playing striker in this match, he won zero aerial duels in this match. Adair... Immediately, when he comes on, Rui Patricio looks for, uh, looks for him on the long goal kick. He, he's, he's immediately, he allows the Portuguese players to play off of him. And immediately they have a little bit of possession, Portugal does, when uh, Adair comes off. So I thought that was a great change for Portugal. It was an offensive change. It was something that, that uh, Santos wanted to do to win the match. Um, who, by the way, is undefeated as Portuguese manager. So pretty good for him. Um, another 1-0 victory, 9 out of 10 now of his victories have been 1-0, or 1-goal victories, excuse me. Um, so, you know, it it was a great change for Portugal, and I think, I think that's how they have to play going forward with Ronaldo on the wing. Because when Nani was up there by himself, they were doing absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And, you know, Nani would try to drop drop back, and then there was no one in space in front of him. Adair occupies Koscielny and Amtiti. Like you said, he also occupies Evra, and it completely changes the way that Portugal plays. Yeah, I, I, so going in extra time, 
uh, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo comes back out, talks to the players, acts like an assistant coach, whatever. And then, and then not, I mean, I get not really much happened, but there was kind of some controversy in, in the 107th minute when uh, Lauren Koscielny was called for a handball that he didn't actually commit, and that resulted in a Portugal free kick right outside the box. Yeah, the free kick hits the crossbar. Rafael with a great free kick. Fortunately, it didn't really matter in the end because it was, you know, they didn't score. Uh, but the ball sort of stayed in their half. Uh, and then Adair scores, but you know it's not. You can't really blame. You can't really blame the goal on that. Uh, but that was a terrible call. Yeah, uh, and soon after that, as you said, Adair just you know mugs off Koscielny, uh and then a perfect finish into the bottom left corner, and Laurie said no chance. Yeah, you know he holds off Koscielny really, really well, and that's the type of hold up play and the type of strength we hadn't seen for how how long? Seventy five, like. 90 minutes at that point. Uh, and then Umtiti, I thought Umtiti had to step forward. Really, I thought he had to step forward. He had a chance to close it down. He didn't. Adair with a nice finish and shocked everyone. Although he said in the post-match interview, he knew he was going to score. So <laughs> he, he said he knew since he got called up, this was going to happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, he certainly showed up. Yeah, he did. You know, he can't. You know, can't really say anything about to him. So Portugal wins their first major tournament. Before that, they hadn't beat France since 1975. Yeah. Um, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, they finished third in their group, as we said, and it wasn't a very strong group either. Mm. With Iceland, Austria, and Hungary. Yeah, and you know, I saw, you know, you see that people saying, oh, they wouldn't have even made it out of the group in the old format. I doubt they would have played the same way in the old format. And you can't, it would be completely different. And besides, besides, it doesn't matter. They're playing in the 2014 format. They got out of their group, and they won the tournament. Can't, I mean, it's not their fault the rules were changed. Okay, so, so, so this is something that was, like, that was brought up as a debate. Do you think that a fact that the third-place team uh, bo- or looks badly on the UEFA side of things, that, that a third-place team won it? Because I, don't, I, I think it actually makes them kind of look better because there was a point of the third-place team going through. Yeah, you know, that's true. I didn't really think about that. I mean, I, that's true. I, I don't think... I think overall the quality of the tournament was worsened because of the 24 teams. I mean, Northern Ireland being the knockout stages, some of these, some of these other teams. It, it, it just wasn't that great. But like you said, at the end of the day, having a third-place team or having 24 teams allowed a team like Portugal who didn't play well in the group stage to come out and win the tournament. So, yeah, that's true. I never really thought about it that way. And how does this, you know, how does this affect the landscape of Cristiano Ronaldo's career? Oh, man, that's a tough question. (laughs) Well, he has an international tournament now. And if Messi is truly done, those two are going to be compared. And Ronaldo, they're always going to say, well, Ronaldo has an international trophy. Messi doesn't. Um, And unfortunately... You can't really look at one's career without... Well, you can't look at Ronaldo's career without bringing Messi into the conversation. At least that's how I see it for now. But... Will this conversation happen if Messi does not come back to the Argentina? Yeah, absolutely. But but Portugal has had these great players. Luis Figo, Rui Costa, um, Deco. None of these guys won a tournament with Portugal. Cristiano Ronaldo did. Of course, Cristiano Ronaldo only played for 25 minutes in the final. But... Cristiano Ronaldo, he still won a tournament with this team. So that's something that no one else for Portugal has ever done. 
Eusebio didn't win a tournament. Um, so, you know, it, it it's something that it, it, it puts him immediately at the top of Portuguese football forever, in my opinion. I agree. And there's always this, you know, the selfish narrative of Cristiano Ronaldo. And, I mean, that's, you know, he does think he's the best player in the world. That's, that's fine. But, I mean, you could tell, you know, he, he really does want this for Portugal, too. Anyone, you know, I saw people say, I know it's Twitter, but I saw people saying that, you know, Ronaldo's not really hurt. You know, he doesn't care about the team. That's absolute, excuse my language, bullshit. Like, it's absolute BS. He, no matter what, you know, I prefer Lionel Messi, to be honest. Like, I prefer watching him. I like the way he conducts himself on the field, off the field. Who, who knows with those, with Messi. But on the field, I, I like, I like the way he plays. Um, but... I don't think anyone can deny that Ronaldo always gives 110% for his team, you know, and especially for Portugal. And you can see what it meant to him when they won. You can see what it meant to him when he was on the sideline trying to coach the team. And you can see what it meant to him when he went off. It's absolutely ludicrous to say that, I mean, he's a selfish player in terms of the choices he makes of when to shoot or whatever, but he always, he always cares about the team he's playing for, especially Portugal. Yeah, I mean, and he's done so much, even through qualifying for the Euros, to get Portugal to this point. He, right. he, he's never really taken a break since he was 20 right. with his team, so, uh, you know, props to him. Yeah, yeah. 2004. And, you know, it, it's like Steve Young, the monkey off of his back, this is a huge monkey off of uh, Ronaldo's back. I'm sure, I'm sure even 12 years later, he still thinks about the 2004 final as a missed opportunity for Portugal on home, on home soil against the worst team in Greece. So, you know, yeah. good for him. I'm happy for him. I'm glad he won, uh, looking back on it. Um, I was rooting for France, but, you know, players like Ronaldo and Messi, these guys deserve trophies. You know, they deserve, they deserve trophies. I know we touched this at the beginning, but this... The fact that Portugal was not even, like, a top-five team in terms of how, how much quality they showed on the pitch in this tournament doesn't leave a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, I think initially it, it did, but, you know, who cares? But, you know, Greece, people do remember them as not a great team, but they also remember the underdog winning. People are, not, people are going to remember Cristiano Ronaldo and Portugal winning this title. I, I, don't, think, I don't think it matters because... At the end of the day, the number one goal is to win. It doesn't matter how it happens. You know, and that's something the U.S. I don't care if the U.S. plays like that and wins a World Cup or wins, I guess the World Cup's the only thing we can win that really matters. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I don't care if that happens. At the end of the day, they still won. So, you know, it doesn't really leave a bad taste in my mouth. Not at all. Not at all. Because France had every opportunity in the world to win that match. They were they were a team that should have done better, you know? And Portugal got it done somehow. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think I think this will be remembered as, you know, Portugal's title and people aren't going to remember really how they played. That's it's not usually how it is. Um I mean they might remember that they played badly overall. But I mean, the Portuguese people obviously don't care and uh, and obvi- it, it was an in- intentional approach by Fernando Santos, you know. Yeah, exactly, it, exactly, so. exactly. Um, so you know, it, it, it they 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 did what they needed to do. They defended for seventy eight minutes until 
and Eric came on. And, you know, maybe maybe Santos knew what he was doing. Maybe he said, we're going to try to get to 0-0 by the 75th, 80th minute and then bring on Ed Air mm. once France is a little bit more complacent. And it works. Tired too, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the one day of rest, I think it does affect France. Or the two days of rest, the one day less of rest, I think it does affect France. I think it really does. Um, still, they should have won. So. Yeah, yeah. But two days of rest is ridiculous. I think so. I, I think you, you, you have to move the final back a little bit. Yeah. Because, um, but, yeah, I mean, you can say that, you know, France had more rest in, in, in previously in the tournament, but come on. Yeah. Just for the final, just make it a little bit. Right. Make it so both teams are rested. Right. Well, the World Cup, both teams play on the same day in the semifinal, don't they? Aren't I they th- both on yeah, Wednesday? Yeah, so. so. maybe not. Maybe I'm remembering that wrong. But I, I don't know. I thought that was ridiculous. What was your favorite thing about this tournament? And your least favorite thing? My favorite, Iceland. Iceland was my favorite thing. Being there with those English fans and those Icelandic fans when Iceland beat England was fantastic. In Nice, it was amazing. Um, being in France, bring, being in Nice and Paris during the tournament was amazing. Being in the atmosphere. Um, and I think in a lot of ways it made the tournament better in, in when the soccer wasn't that fun to watch. Um, I, I think... That that's an, you know I'll never forget this tournament for that reason. So I think that and you know the emergence of Antoine Griezmann as maybe one of the best players in the world. Any Everton standout performances that you saw? I mean Lukaku did all right. Uh, Coleman was he good? Yeah, Coleman was good. He was a captain, so he did he did well. Um, you know John Stones and Ross Barkley were the only two English players who didn't get on the pitch for England. Um, to only two English outfield players. Yeah, so. I would say that my favorite thing about the tournament, you know, I agree with you, just just being there and, you know, Iceland fans showed incredibly well. I mean, remember yeah. the population and then, you know, they were almost as loud as the English fans yeah. at some point. So, yeah. you know, it was incredible to see that game. And I think it, it was good for the English national team to not, now there are not two sides to this argument that, you know, like let's you know England doesn't need to make a major change because they lost to the round in the round of sixteen to Iceland. If they made the quarterfinals then lost to France, it's up for debate. But now I think England knows their issues. Everyone yeah, so does. so maybe maybe it's better for them because yeah. this ensures that Roy Hodgson doesn't come back for the twenty eighteen World Cup. And maybe that you know if they if they go to Paris in the round in in the quarterfinals and get smacked by France, maybe Roy Hodgson is still there. Who knows? But now they can move forward. They got a good young nucleus. How how do we start talking about England? I hate that we do. I hate how everyone starts talking about. We're talking about Iceland. Yeah, I know. You know they can move forward. They they, they'll you know they can move forward. Germany needs to find a striker, a true number nine. Yeah, Uh, Thomas Mueller is more comfortable. Yeah, but also the emergence of Joshua Kimmich, fantastic. He's going to be a great player. I thought Renato Sanchez played really well for yeah. most of the tournament. Yeah, he was mostly. great too. Uh, Wales was fun to watch. It was cool to see them make it as far as they did. So, I mean, it was a fun tournament. The soccer itself wasn't that exciting, I would have to say. For most of the games, I would agree with you, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's crazy. The two tournaments that we were looking so forward to are now over uh, in the Copa America. Both had pretty underwhelming finals. Yeah. So we have the Olympics... The men's and the women's. We'll probably be covering the women's more because of the U.S. women's national team. Um, 
when the club season starts back yeah, up. More transfer mm-hmm. news. Uh, in, yeah. I mean, there's really, a lot we haven't talked about. Yeah. There's a lot we haven't talked about. Um, one more thing. The Iceland chant, where they, where they clap and they do the thing. I saw people saying, you know, France stole it. They didn't start it. They didn't start it. The U.S. has been doing that for so long. I'm not saying the U.S. started it. They didn't either, most likely. But, I mean, you know that. We've been doing that forever. Yeah, I, I know that we've done it. Yeah, I, I don't... It's kind of dumb to argue about the origin of a chant. Right. Every chant is stolen. Right, exactly. Basically. Exactly. Well, my point is, France didn't steal it from Iceland. I mean, they didn't come up with it. Yeah. But Iceland was a great story. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fun tournament. It was a good time. Do you have an early uh, 2020 prediction? The <laughs> uh, Belgium. Belgium. I, I was I was gonna say Belgium again, even though I, I think yes, I picked, everyone picks them at every tournament. Since yeah, since the 2014 World Cup, I've definitely picked them every. Yeah, tournament. Well, I mean, it's uh, two tournaments, three, because I'm picking them also for 2020. What about 2018? Oh, well, I meant 2014, 2016, 2020. Okay, but um, yeah, no, 20. Well, 2018, I'm gonna pick Argentina with Messi. You think he... Yeah. I, I kind of hope so now, because yeah. I feel bad for rooting against him in the Cup of America final. <laughs> okay. it, it, I know he feels personally hurt by me. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Ambitious Strike. Uh, you can check out their merchandise at ambitiousstrike.com. They're a great company. Um, if you want a 15% off discount on your entire purchase, enter the code BROTHERS at checkout. Uh, we have an email for this podcast. It's soccerbrotherspodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Check us out there. The links are in the description. Um, listen to us basically anywhere where podcasts can be listened to and uh, stick with us even after this, these tournaments. There's a lot more soccer to talk about. Did you see the campaign for Lionel Messi that Barcelona started? The We Stand with Leo Messi or whatever? No, he it's tax fraud. What are you standing with him for? <laughs> I don't know. I, they were like, he needs our emotional support at this time. Okay, whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't I don't know if you can say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like to say like Real Madrid fans are worse than Barcelona fans. I think they're all they're, all, they're both bad in their own ways. They're not bad. Okay, they're, they're both the same in, the, in their own ways. Uh, you know, it's it's not their fans that annoy me. It's just it's just the fanboys of the players that kind of annoy true, me. True. We are so incredibly lucky to watch these two players play. That you know, just stop the animosity. Enjoy the game. You know, enjoy watching them play. I don't. I don't see how else you can. And I. I just don't. I don't understand. I don't understand this manufactured animosity. I mean, it, it sort of adds to the rivalry, Messi versus Ronaldo. But I mean, we can still like. I've still been able to appreciate. I, and I honestly just don't rip on random Mexican players. I don't like. That's not. That's not. I'm not saying like I'm better. I'm just saying it's it's it's, it's possible to do that. You can be right. a rival with a team and. Appreciate their game, right? Right. I mean, you know, like I root against Mexico, but you know that's you know, I don't know. Like you said, I'm not going to be. I don't, it's just kind of about like how talented they are, right? Exactly. And at the end of the day, Ronaldo and Messi respect each other, so the fans should respect. Each other. <laughs> that's true. So, all right. Thank you for listening, guys. We'll see you guys next time for episode 56 of the Soccer Brothers Podcast.